from Luke chapter 13. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, we can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Our daughter Hadley turns two next week, and not only are we excited, but so is she, although she is starting to do this thing as we get closer to her birthday, where she demands to be a baby and to be held and rocked, if some of you saw earlier. But it's amazing to think how quickly this time has gone by with her already, and what a joy she is in our lives. As she continues to grow, I am always amazed at the ways that she is able to communicate with us. And one of the most common phrases in our lives these days is, Whoa, Sippy! Which is Hattie's way of saying, Whoa, Slippery! It's often in response to things like socks on hardwood as she tries to gain her balance while slipping under her feet. But it's not just for when things are slippery. Hadley says, whoa, sippy, as she gets down off the bar stool at our kitchen counter. Whoa, sippy, as she climbs the last rung of the ladder on the playground. Whoa, sippy, is a way for her to tell us that she is aware that there is some level of danger around her. I think it's like a statement of that awareness, like she knows that at any moment she could just fall down. And although it is often said with confidence, like, Mom, don't worry, I know it's slippery, it's also a way for her to let us know to be ready for her when she falls. As I was reading our text for today, Hadley's words, whoa, sippy, kept coming up for me. Paul, in our reading from Corinthians, talking about sin and temptation and death and watching out, Jesus, in our reading from Luke, talking about repentance and perishing in fig trees and being cut down, I heard Hadley's voice in my head saying, Whoa, Sippy! Talking about sin and repentance, temptation and death can be a slippery conversation. It's rarely easy. And plenty of people, plenty of preachers, have talked about these topics, these verses from Scripture, in ways that can be harmful or painful for others. But it's Lent! We are in a season right now of repentance and preparation as we follow Jesus 40 days towards the cross. And no matter how slippery, what better time than now to have these conversations? For Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, he's trying to get them off their feet a little bit. There's a lot of sin and temptation going around in Corinth, and the people of the church aren't worried. They are self-assured that they can face 
any test without failing. Maybe it's self-righteousness or misplaced confidence. From the way Paul talks to these beloveds, though, it's clear that he's worried that this confidence is not in Christ, but in themselves. He wants them to be aware. Because self-assuredness and self-righteousness can quickly slip into sin and temptation and turning away from God. He even has quite the list of threats of punishment for falling, a lot of perishing and death and serpents. The Corinthians were so sure that they were fine that they were putting themselves into slippery situations, situations where sin and temptation were rampant. But instead of being aware of their own sinfulness and the way sin can cause suffering, they were sort of just ignoring it. They felt confident and didn't really care if anyone was watching. Sin is anything that harms another, harms ourselves, harms our relationship with God, and the truth is, sin is not something to be taken lightly. I think it is important here to name that we are all sinners. And as Paul says, we will all perish as other sinners have, and as our part of our faith in Jesus and our faith in forgiveness, sin isn't the end of the story, death isn't the end of our story. But sin is also something that we should work to turn away from. Because our faith reminds us that it's not just us who are harmed by sin. Paul says you will all perish as they did unless you repent. And repentance isn't a bad thing. We kind of have it as that connotation. It's not the funnest thing to talk about. But it's a turnaround, a U-turn. To repent means to turn away from the temptations and sin that harm others, harm ourselves, or harm our relationships with God, and instead turn towards God. Paul kind of takes an extreme and maybe even slippery path as he describes some terrible consequences of sin and temptation, and Jesus kind of argues against him a bit, especially if you hear Paul saying that suffering is a punishment for sin. In Luke, when some of the group around Jesus tell him about the terrible death that befell some Galileans, he responds, because it is often what we do when something terrible happens to someone else, when violence or death occurs in ways that are troubling, we try to find reasons. And often we try to find examples of how that death or that violence is a consequence brought on to that person, sometimes by that person. I hate to say it, but in our own efforts to understand what happened, we seek to blame victims. Kind of like how Paul says that those who tested Christ were destroyed by serpents. It could be read that those serpents were a punishment for being worse sinners, or it could also be read that if you're trying to test Christ by handling snakes, they might bite you. Knowing about the ways people try to find understanding, Jesus rejects this idea of suffering as punishment, for somehow being worse or doing worse than someone else. He asks those gathered the question they are probably thinking, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Jesus says, no. No, I tell you. And instead he uses this as an example, a reminder, that you will all perish as they did, unless you repent, unless you turn around, turn towards God, turn towards a new kind of life. It's not a threat the way Paul makes it out to be in his attempt to shake some sense into Corinth. It's just the truth. Jesus even brings up those who were killed in an accident when a tower fell down to share this truth. We don't know our time of death. And the death of others reminds us that this time can be short. There never seems to be enough. And so Jesus goes into a speech about repentance. 
Don't think that someone else is a worse sinner or that they deserve their death, but turn around, turn towards God, turn towards your neighbor. That's how you live. That's where life finds you. Like Isaiah telling us in our reading this morning, as God says to God's people, listen and live. Live a new kind of life. One that is for God and for others. One that is filled with life and hope, not brokenness and sorrow. As a continuation of Jesus' repentance speech, he shares this parable of an impatient landowner and an obstinate fig tree and a gracious gardener. As a response to this call for repentance, this parable acts as a reminder that there is still time. No matter where you are in your life, there is still time. There is still time for us to think about our lives, our behaviors, and say, whoa, Sippy. There's still time for us to be aware of what we're doing, of the dangers we might be experiencing. And there's still time to turn towards God and towards our neighbor, to turn away from harm and pain and perishing. And like all parables, this one is full of symbols and possibilities. It's meant to get us thinking. Maybe you're thinking about what manure you're wading in so that you're being able to grow. I kept laughing about that, and I couldn't stop thinking about it all week. What manure has God put on me this week? Amen. <laughs> Maybe you wonder if in this parable you're the vineyard owner, impatiently waiting for fruit, waiting for someone else to do something, because he's not the one who is going to care for this tree. Maybe you've been tempted to give up on something or someone else because it seems hopeless or seems fruitless. Maybe we are the vineyard owners doing the demanding for the fruits, but not the work for it. Maybe we're the tree not growing fast enough, not producing any fruit, feeling helpless or useless, and not knowing how to turn towards that fruitfulness the owner is asking for. As we travel in the season of Lent, a season of repentance and prayerful preparation, this parable reminds us that as we look towards Good Friday and Easter, None of this is anything we can do on our own. Repentance isn't something we can do on our own. Even in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, you will be tested, but God will give you a way out. God will be there through it all. This new life, this fruit we might bear, is not something that we can just be confident in and make happen. It's our gardener. Our Jesus, who is always seeking to cultivate us, digging us out of our sin and temptation, fertilizing us with faith, with grace, with forgiveness for when we fail to be who Jesus calls us to be. Jesus on the cross provides us a way out, a new way in this life. Jesus dies and rises from the dead because even though all perish in him, we rejoice in the promise of the resurrection. That sin or death is not the end of anyone's story but that Jesus, our rock, has put in and is still putting in the work in each of us, turning us towards God, growing us into fruitful trees, so that we can stand, knowing that sometimes it's slippery, sometimes sin and temptation test us, but we can know that even if we fail, even if we fall, Jesus is there ready to pick us back up, so that we too can be gardeners in this world cultivating love for our neighbors, sharing the grace we have received, and working towards hope for something new. So that whatever sin, whatever temptation, whatever slips we make, whatever manure we might have stepped in, Jesus is still there, 
to give us a way, to give us the truth, and to give us life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.